Hello and welcome to episode 102 of The Brand Lounge, where every Thursday we feature insightful brand stories to showcase the hundreds of ways that businesses are started, the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, and to encourage you to build your business your way. I'm Tammy Heels, your host and founder of Shadowcat Creative, where I'm a personal brand and marketing consultant. And today I am once again joined by Annette Earle, end-of-life planning advocate at her business, Dockleaf Conversations. Welcome back to the show, Annette. Hey Tammy, great to be here. Thank you so much for joining me again. In the last episode, listeners, Annette and I talked all about planning for the unexpected and how to make sure that your business is looked after should it outlive you. There is so much good advice on such an important topic that's often overlooked, so be sure to pop that one on your playlist to listen to next if you missed it. But today, Annette, we're talking all about you and your business. So let's kick things off right at the start and ask the question, what was it that inspired you to first start your business? Oh, thanks, Tammy. It's a great question. And I really wish that I had a half decent answer for you. But the answer is so boring and mundane. Let me let me have a go uh, at making it sound lively and exciting. Essentially, I think this is just who I am. Ever since I was very young at school, I have always been driven to try to understand those big questions. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where do we go? And, you know, I'm uncomfortable saying that I don't have answers for any of that. But what I do think is important is to ask some of those big questions. And in the first half of my working life, I've always been drawn to administrative type professions. I actually started my professional life as a librarian and information, credible, authoritative information that can translate to knowledge and action is really, really important to me. As I've entered into my 40s, I realise I'm in the second half of my working life and much as the first half in libraries, in project management, in administrative functions, it was quite useful. It didn't really feel particularly fulfilling or meaningful to me. If I didn't do my job, somebody else would. And the world, you know, it would still turn and the sun would still rise. And that's all lovely. And we need people doing those jobs. But I wanted something more. I wanted to kind of go back to my roots of, you know, what gives my life purpose? because I hold a belief around the fact that it's not given to me, it's I choose it for myself. So I choose to make the second half of my working life meaningful. How can I do that? I really wasn't sure, but when I moved away from London to the West Country, I thought, okay, this is the time to figure it out. As luck would have it, I discovered through my searching an event in Somerset talking all about end-of-life planning. So I went along and I left that event knowing that I wanted to be the person at the front of the room. I wanted to be the facilitator. I did my research, as all good librarians do. I found a course that I could take to help me further my knowledge in this area. And so that's what I did in the first half of 2020. And at the end of it, I thought, okay, this is what I want to do because I think I can use quite direct language and terminology and I can say words like death and dying, hopefully not scaring other people, but quite authentically acknowledging this is a thing that happens. I think it's a thing we should talk about and that we would have a healthier society if we were able to destigmatize conversations around death. And I thought, you know what? that is something worth doing. That is meaningful, that's fulfilling work. And as somebody who does believe in giving her life meaning, I I thought right from the get-go, I'd write my own epitaph because although I don't plan to have a gravestone, if I did, it would say on it, she did her best because that's all any of us can do. And my way of doing my best in this world to show up and hopefully when I shuffle off the mortal coil the world will have been temporarily better for me having been in it doing this work and honestly that is not something that I could say about managing meetings so there we go (laughs) well look hey I mean meetings are great and all but yeah I I absolutely love that I love that 
the driving force behind your business is that sense of purpose and that sense of the fact that, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but the fact that you found something that brings you joy, even though it's considering, it's generally considered a topic that joy is not a part of, which is baffling and wonderful and terrifying all at once because you know as we talked about at depth in the last episode kind of our deaths are inevitable just as Thanos was nerds out there oh my goodness I'm yeah anyway (laughs) back to business Tammy but yeah I'm really glad that it was an event that inspired you on the subject that you then became inspired to talk about so can we talk a little bit around how you found yourself at that event so was this something that you had decided to go to for personal reasons was this part of your profession were you still working at the time kind of can you talk a little bit around what it was that took you there so that event was in November 2019 I way back at the beginning of that year wasn't working and actually applied to teacher training and I was looking at becoming an RE teacher in secondary schools I went through that process I did get a place but ultimately I gave it up because I recognized that being an RE teacher and being me as I currently am were not well aligned but as part of that process and doing the research for my RE application there were themes around death and dying coming up. And that's actually what led me to finding the event. So the event was in Glastonbury. It was a a weekend of, essentially it was a death festival. Um, And just because of the things that I'd been searching for and um, looking into, Google's clever, it knows what to do. And it showed me this event. So that's how I found it. At that time, um, I was in a position that I did need some money. So I started a one year temporary contract. If you go back through my CV, you will never find the word permanent anything. I'm not very good with the word permanent. So my whole life has been a mixture of temping and contracting. And it turns out, it's news to me, they're the same thing. You just get paid way better in one than the other. But actually, so having an end, I mean, just as I'm saying this out loud, I've never thought of this before, but I quite like finite. So, you know, it probably makes sense that I would be drawn to death as a topic. And I just think, you know, what you're saying about joy, I, I don't know if that is the word I would, joy isn't a word I would necessarily use for myself in my life, but definitely it brings me purpose, which for me is very similar. And I would challenge anybody, and, and it, regardless of your, your worldviews, if all of us were immortal in our bodies, the people we are now, but there is no end, what then would have meaning? Why would you bother doing anything at all? Why would you spend your life on Zoom? Because there must be better things to do, surely. But when something has an end, when something is finite, it suddenly gives real meaning to how you spend your time up until that point, especially when you don't know when that point is. That's really fascinating to me because for me, end of life planning, people associate with death. If you choose to, you can associate it with life. End of life planning is one of the most life affirming things you will ever do. But it's it's a choice and it's not for everyone. But I, yeah, I revel in it. I love that. I love the fact that you can talk so openly about it as well. And I love the irony that nothing has been permanent until you found found a career in the most permanent of things. I find that that's very amusing to me. <laughs> in, a, in a said with love, but yeah, I find that quite amusing. Um, so when it comes to approaching the subject, because it is quite still considered a taboo and it can be a very sensitive topic. It can be a subject that people feel very uncomfortable talking about either within themselves or with other people because you know it is facing your own mortality at the end of the day and having to put plans in place for that and in a world where every other conversation is around manifestation I imagine that there's a little bit of curated fear that comes along with planning for the worst and rather than inviting it so do you feel that you have always been of that kind of you've always had that ability and that I don't want to say personality but that approach 
two topics and conversations where you can be quite pragmatic about it? Or do you feel that that came into play as you were learning more around the planning and end of life advocacy? No, I would say that's who I am. So, I, you know, you introduced me right at the beginning as an end of life planning advocate. It's taken me a while to even get that far, because what am I? This for me isn't a job. It isn't, you know, it, I know we'll probably get on to talking about business, but this isn't actually my business. This is who I am. So that means that I take a slightly different approach to it because I would be doing this in my world. The only difference is that I'm trying to encourage other people to think about it too. I think I, you would never describe me as an optimist. I consider myself to be a realist. Um, But I'm certainly, although I'm not a practical person by nature, I am a pragmatist. And What this really comes down to is I hold one central fundamental belief around this work, which is that every person has the right to a good death. And that drives me. I think every single person has that fundamental human right. So what does that mean? Because a good death means different things to different people. And we should acknowledge that we are not all the same. And that is okay. But my thinking is, you know, what is a good death? What do I think, you know, everyone should be entitled to? I think at the end of the life, you should be entitled to pain-free end of living. Um, and that's well outside my arena. I also think you are entitled to dignity. I think that should be a right. You have the right to die with dignity and also as far as possible with peace of mind. So I don't have a utopia. I'm not an idealist by any stretch of the imagination. But what I see is that we have this, we come into this world and in our society, at least, we have a checklist that we're given. We're not aware that we're given it until we fail to check the boxes. But it goes along the lines of go to school, take many exams and do well in said exams. Up until perhaps recently, go to university. That's the ideal find life partner, climb corporate ladder rungs in career whilst having a family, whilst maintaining your holidays and your cars and living somewhere lovely and just doing everything all the time. You should be happy if that's what you're doing. And if you fail any of those checkboxes, you have failed at life. And I reject all of that. I don't agree with all of that. Perhaps it works for some people. But what I don't see on that checklist is the bit after work. The bit after you've raised your family, if you're going to have one, the bit that is about you, the person, where's the checklist that says, insofar as possible, be happy, be fulfilled, do the things, insofar as they don't harm others, that fill you with joy. And that also applies at the very end of your life, whenever that may be. We plan our careers, we plan children, we plan weddings and spend lots of money on that but we don't give consideration to the one event that is definitely going to happen in our lives and that will have a ripple effect on people around us but we'll just deal with it when the time comes and that's the worst possible time to deal with it. I can say all these things quite comfortably, it aligns very much with who I am and how I think And I feel almost a sense of, I'm very conflicted. I feel like, who cares what I think? It's just my opinion. But also, perhaps I can be an advocate for other people who feel similarly to me, but perhaps I'm not as comfortable in saying the words out loud. And I speak for those people, those people who want to have agency at the very end of their lives. We're given it throughout, we're told to take responsibility right up until the end and then it's very often taken away from us and I'd really like to challenge that and go no I would like agency over the very end of my life because until you're dead you are still alive you do still have agency and that matters and that's a message that I just really want to convey. I I absolutely adore that approach and as someone who finds the societal checklist incredibly irritating and has done for The majority of my life, it's really interesting when you have these open conversations about it, particularly with people. I mean, nowadays in the world that we're living in in 2021, I would say that 
I've been very fortunate to grow up in the generation that I have in the fact that I had time before the internet, but I've also had that time where the internet has played such a huge role on the way that society has grown and we're being, we're able to find communities and like-minded people much easier. We are able to be aware of options, opportunities and alternative points of view, both supporting and challenging to help us form our own sense of purpose, our own view of how we want our lives to grow and progress but also the fact that I feel like the shift away from certain constraints like there's much more broadness within political religious other societal conflicts and obligations I guess like no longer is it go through school go to university or if you're a woman go to school get educated to a certain degree but not too much have babies stay at home all the rest of it that's opened up a lot now there's a lot more um, accepted variety in the way we choose to live our lives but one thing when you look at it all together that I noticed when you were speaking then is you hit a certain point where the societally expected thing to do is all of a sudden your life is no longer about you, it's about others. It's about your family, it's about your life partner, it's about your children. And then that never really comes back to you again. It's like the older you get, the less your life becomes about you. And that just feels ridiculous because actually it's all about you. It's the only time that everything is about you is when it's you in your life. And we may go as far as retirement, but I feel like after retirement, which again is an option that's getting less and less likely for a lot of people whether you're working or whether you're self-employed or whether you're not working whatever it is that you choose to do retirement is actually becoming quite rapidly an outdated concept and not a possibility for a lot of people whether you're saving for a pension or not so the stage after that the most significant life event after that generally speaking will be your death and it's something that we don't talk about and it's just baffling isn't it when you look at it from that perspective when you take the emotion out of it absolutely I think the really interesting question and I have no answer for this is what is the impact of us not talking about it because again if you only think about these things at a point of need it's going to be rushed you may be able to have these conversations you may not you might not have time so what if we were to dial it right back and start just having these conversations alongside everything else as soon as you hit adulthood, essentially, this is something that should be on your radar. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One, I like to think I might be alone in this. But when I, especially if I have a big decision ahead of me, I'm a fairly de- decisive person most of the time. But occasionally I'm, I don't know, do I go left or right? As soon as I pose that question through the lens of my deathbed, I'm on my deathbed, my life flashes before my eyes. What do I wish I would have done? I almost always can answer which way I want to go. And because I think it's important to regret things you have done rather than things you haven't. So when you think future me, what's future me? You know, even if it turns out to be the wrong decision, you could justify your thinking and therefore it wasn't a mistake. If you look at your life through that lens of finite death, actually it really, it course corrects you. This is what's important to me. This is what I need to prioritise. It's not always about the urgent stuff. It is about the important stuff. The thing that I do worry about with impact and in society as a collective is actually how, by not talking about end of life and death, how that impacts us sort of, for example, in the workplace. So there are lots of people out there who perhaps have you know, a typical example might be a parent dies. If that employment or employer is friendly, you might then get two weeks off. And the expectation largely is that you'll go away, sort out the funeral, do what you need to do, all that urgent stuff. And then you come back, you'll come back to a workplace probably that isn't quite sure how to talk to you. Did they mention it? Do they not mention it? But where was the point where you got to grieve? Because grief doesn't take place in two weeks. And it generally won't take place when you're being busy, which is what happens after someone dies. There's a lot of stuff to do. But where's the bit to decompress? Where's the bit where you can just grieve as healthfully as possible? But actually, we place all these demands on people. Sort this, do that, sort that account out, make these financial decisions, possibly fall out with family members. It might not always be that way, but that is quite a commonplace example. 
And I just think, but what if? What if from a really early age, this is just an open conversation that we have with the people around us, but also with complete strangers? Because then we could talk about our wishes. We have time to think through what would we like? What things would we want to put in place? And it's done from a place of reason and there's some emotion there, but it's not done at the point of need. And then you start to demystify death and the processes around it. You get to have more meaningful conversations with those people around you, because if there is a sticking point, you have time to work through it. And I don't offer this up as a utopia, it won't work for everybody. But if we were comfortable with the fact that at some point we all die, it means we can support our workplace colleagues better. It means we can ask doctors questions that we might be a little afraid to ask. It means that we just destigmatize this whole subject. And I don't see, even from a mental health perspective, how that can be anything other than a positive net gain and something that I very much would like to work towards. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. I feel like there are so many things that are inevitable that we don't discuss. And it's because either it's considered crude, it's considered inappropriate, it's considered morbid, but everything from finances to health to personal choices when it comes to families, whether you, you know, marriage, babies, everything, adoption, cultural differences to death, all of these things are literally inevitable that are not spoken about openly. I feel like it just, it makes it worse to experience in some ways. But things like the lack of financial education when you're growing up, inevitably, you are going to need to fend for yourself at some point. You are going to need to understand how money works to buy property, rent a house, have a job, knowing, paying taxes, all of that. But you're not taught how to deal with that. So it becomes a nasty surprise. And the same with death, by not talking about our own death, and not preparing others for what we want, it also means that we're negating those conversations of death of those that are close to us, which would help us manage some of that, I believe, some of the emotional fallout and the stress that happens. Because if we're aware of what happens from understanding our own preferences, it's almost equipping us better to prepare for other people's preferences when the unexpected inevitable happens so yeah I absolutely agree with you and I find it really interesting because I know in between recording episodes you mentioned how and you've mentioned it in in this recording as well how this to you isn't a business it's just you sharing information now of course it is a business because you're doing it in exchange for money because that's how things work but I'm really curious as to whether it's although this was something that you obviously went into with your eyes open it was something that you have have drawn knowledge on and now educate others on are you finding that you're learning more and more as you go or has it just been kind of exactly how you expected the business to kind of develop that's actually a really hard question to answer I am aware that I'm listening to you say that and I am aware that I've got all kinds of resistance going on inside me that says don't talk about it don't talk about it um I I've always been very comfortable with money I I don't you know, I have no problems discussing money, but it turns out that I have a real problem with profit. I don't have a problem with profit if other people are making it, as long as it's ethical. Um, ideally legal, but certainly ethical. And I don't have a problem, or I don't think I would have a problem if I had a different kind of business. But from the get-go, I have really struggled with this concept of business because for me, business is synonymous with profit. And I have not dealt with that at all well. So I started Doc Leaf Conversations on the 1st of September 2020. So sort of a year and, you know, two weeks or something. I have changed quite a lot of my thinking in that time. The challenges for the most part have been what I thought they would be. The only challenge that was a surprise was one around networking for me, but that's to do with my personality. The business itself is what I thought. But the truth is, and this is the sort of thing, this is how you know that I was no good with the checklist growing up and permanent jobs, not my thing. 
because I'm the person that will say the thing that no one else will say. And I know I'm not supposed to say it. And all the rules say, do not say this, do not push the big red button. And I push it all the time and I'm going to do it now. And the big red button is I really don't like business. And I would also say I would not consider myself certainly right now as being successful in business. Because yes, whilst there's this financial exchange in return for the knowledge I have, the expertise that I've gained and how I've curated that information together in the form of information products, it might it or might not be true, but I don't necessarily tell people what I've got. So I have created products that if you know where to look, you can go and you can pay money for them right now, except nobody does because I haven't told them they exist. And I share that knowing that that's the sort of thing you should not say on a business type podcast, but it's also true. And I've now reached a stage where I realise the word business is a real problem for me and I'm not going to change my attitude to it. So it needs to change. And the way I plan to do that, I, I recently I had a conversation just last week with somebody who really got me thinking, is there a way for me to talk to the world? And we didn't put a name on it, but I'm going to call it a company or an organisation, because I think companies and organisations are not synonymous with profits. They can be, but they don't have to be, whereas business for me is. So my company, Leaf Conversations, how do I look to transact in this world in a way that makes me feel comfortable, aligns with my values? And it was suggested to me that maybe there's a pay it forward model in here somewhere. I have some thoughts as to what that might look like. But immediately, since having that conversation, my whole outlook and my attitude towards my quote unquote business has changed. Because as soon as I take away profit, and I, at the moment I'm thinking it's probably a community interest company, how do I get these ideas out there in a way that is not self-serving, but in a way that is financially sustainable so that you can continue to raise awareness around the message? In doing that, I've changed my whole outlook. I now have a business model that I think I can pursue going forwards to make this work. But even though it's a business model, it's not a profit model. So there, in my rambling answer, you can see I've, I've really struggled with this over the last year. <laughs> <laughs> I find it really interesting because... One, again, it's exactly, this is the thing. This is the reason why I started this podcast because there are so many things that are left unspoken. There are so many thoughts that we have when it comes to business that it's difficult to articulate because a lot of the time, and I will say this openly, a lot of the time, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're doing at the moment. You find that you lose your way. And I say this from both personal experience and also from being a, you know, a friend to multiple other business owners. You have these conversations, but it's difficult to voice it out loud when you feel that you're speaking from your business because there's so much around feeling like a fraud or imposter syndrome or lack of confidence or whatever it is that you want to call it, however you experience it. Or even if it's just falling out of love with your business, which is something that has happened to me on and off throughout the duration of running both my businesses, it, it's easy to slip into routines, habits, and getting bogged down with the day-to-day that you feel like you should, that is often outside influences, funny enough, is often the, the business version of the societal checklist. So it's like, you should be posting on social media. You should be talking about your business. You should not disclose how much money you're making unless it's got a massive amount of zeros and you're selling a blueprint or some kind of rubbish like that. And there are these unspoken expectations that literally no one is expecting of you, but everyone seems to collectively understand. So if this is the way that you have found that works for you, absolutely embrace that. And if you find in six months time, it no longer serves you, throw it in the bin and try something else. (laughs) Like that's the joy of it. And I think it was really interesting that from someone such as yourself, who is quite openly, you literally cover one of the biggest taboo subjects and you find it difficult to talk about business 
is it's exactly why we need to be having these conversations. We need to be opening up the floor so that you can sit there and go, I don't like my business at the moment, or I don't feel comfortable with profit. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm having a money mindset issue. It's just that I want something. <laughs> feel free to dive in. <laughs> so I have a real issue with the whole money mindset thing and the idea of limiting beliefs. I'm sure I do have some. But I don't think that's the reason. It's not about putting my prices up. It's not about not valuing myself. It happens to be that the, you know, what I'm doing around end of life planning, I think in my ideal utopian world would be part of social care. It would be just something that happens naturally and that we all have access to. And we don't really give it a second thought. We just, it's part and parcel of our world. That isn't the world that we're in. But I don't believe that, for me, I don't want to exploit, which is how it would feel, life and death. Um, I'm not interested in that. And I really have very little time for people telling me that it's limiting beliefs that are my problem. Um, happily, there is a marketer that I follow, and he titled one of his videos, you don't have a limiting belief, you have a conscience. And I saw that. And I went, that speaks to me. So you know, just to be really clear, no problem with other people making profit. That's how the world works. That's cool. I am a big consumer, very happy with that. Just this particular subject matter and the conversations. I'm interested in conversations. And for me, I don't, I, I care that they're inclusive. I care that they're accessible. And I could not bear it if someone did not do some planning because they think they couldn't afford to, I have no time for that. That is not the world that I want to live in and it's not the one I want to contribute to. And anyone who then feels that I need to work on myself with my limiting beliefs around that, I'm afraid I just fully reject. I have no time for it. I think that that's, again, I think that that's wonderful. I think that limiting beliefs are a big thing. I feel like they're now being used in at least some of the things that I have seen going on online, they're being used as a bit of a marketing gimmick and money mindset, I think. I mean, it's the same with everything. Anyone who's listened to any of these episodes will know like, you need to take what works for you and you're well within your rights to ignore the rest. As someone who has recently identified that all of the time that I thought I had imposter syndrome but couldn't work out why it felt different to the way other people were explaining it, I've realized that mine isn't necessarily imposter syndrome because I've never lacked the belief I can do things. I've lacked the patience, confidence and knowledge of how to get there. I've realized that mine is a lack of structure that I struggle with, not imposter. But being told for years that it's not as imposter because that's what other people have identified with. Like you're well within your rights to turn around and go, you know what? I don't want to make profit from this. I don't want this to be classed as a business in the traditional context of the word. But it's not because I'm having limitations. It's because I want to approach differently. Absolutely. Go forth and be awesome and bring that to the world so that other people can understand. There are different ways of building a business and it's completely unique to you. Yeah. And to give yourself time to figure it out. Yes. So I think one of the things I have struggled with is visibility. Um, I would quite like to be invisible. I am very happy in an invisible place. The trouble is to do what I want to do, I can't be. So I have to make a decision. And actually what you were saying there, yes, limiting beliefs are a thing. I think where I draw the line is where people try to tell you that it's all on you. Like if, if there's a problem until you figure it out within, you know, all the answers are within you, maybe, but maybe not. Sometimes there's a knowledge gap. Sometimes there's a confidence gap. Sometimes you need someone to hold your hand and show you the way. And I think one of the things that I, I am still, con still challenged by, and I don't know which way I'm gonna go, is I think I do wanna be a disruptor. There are people doing similar things to me. I think there will be an explosion in this industry in the coming years. So I, as an early adopter of end-of-life planning work, I would like to set where that bar is in terms of quality, standardization, how we have these conversations and make them as not-for-profit as possible so that they can remain authentic. In order to do that, I wonder, do I need to step into some sort of leadership role? 
I don't have any followers this year, but if I want to disrupt and if I want to, you know, share my message with this world, I probably need to get on a podium and put my head above the parapet. And that is really uncomfortable for me. So it's, it's interesting because I have a head versus heart. There's the thing I want to achieve, but I don't want to follow the path in order to achieve it. So which do you go with? Is this bigger than me? Is my ego in the way? Or is my driver and my purpose so big that all my imposter syndrome, all my limiting beliefs, all the challenges I face, I can overcome because this is bigger than the person delivering the message? I would say from a bit of unrequested advice and feedback, (laughs) (laughs) as an outsider, it has been really informative and joyful to have these kind of open conversations with you both in this episode and in the last one. So my challenge back to you isn't the fact that you are finding it hard to stick your head above the parapet or um, whether you find it hard or not is different, but you you accepted to come onto this podcast. I know that you are present across different channels. So it may just be that you haven't found the right strategy for you and the right platforms for you. And I think that this is something, again, that gets swept up into that should with small businesses where social media is at the forefront of everyone's mind. But actually, social media as a business owner is minimally disruptive, as in like, it's really hard to get your voice heard because we're all doom scrolling. And as a consumer, social media is a very disruptive form of marketing because you're expecting them to stop what they're doing to pay attention to you. Whereas actually more disruptive ways as a business owner and less disruptive for your audience, which is the better, better balance are things like video content, podcast content, audio content, content that can go with them during the day. So short snippets, bits of audio, things that accompany them whilst they're doing other things, that kind of content is going to be maybe something that you haven't quite found your rhythm with yet, but will lead you to be the leader that you want to be in a way that feels more comfortable for you. So yeah, I would just challenge that maybe it's not that you are destined to forever be outside of your comfort zone doing content that you don't enjoy. It may just be that you haven't found the platforms that align with the way that you work best until you build a team or if that's your choice and then can have others that can pass this content forward because the more you educate your audience the more they're going to educate others so by all means educate away from social media and then let them educate through social media yeah no I think that's a really great point I, yeah I quite like that so I definitely I did there we go on a podcast and <laughs> receiving some free business mentoring there love it <laughs> Awesome. So, right, let's talk a little bit more specifically around your business, because I was going to go into a whole conversation around conversations, but let's start with your business name, because what that might be, Leaf Conversations, how did you come up with your business name? So it's in two parts. Leaf already existed in my mind and actually existed as a previous incarnation in my contracting world and has a very specific meaning. I knew I wanted to keep Doc Leaf in there. Conversations, because I just, that's really what I'm trying to inspire. And I quite enjoy taglines and strap lines for things. So originally, when I came up with Doc Leaf Conversations, my tagline for it was soothing the sting around death talk. And I'm still quite partial to I that. Like that. But lots of people didn't. It was really, really divisive. And because I was new and I didn't have the courage of my convictions, I changed it. But it's still in there somewhere. So the idea of a dock leaf conversation is dock leaves often, you know, grow with nettles. You sting yourself and, you know, in kind of folklore, as it were, in old wives' tales, you, you pick the dock leaf to rub the sting. Doesn't take it away, but soothes it. And that's what I think a dock leaf conversation is. If you're going to talk about death and end of life planning, that's uncomfortable. And there's no way to take away the pain that is associated for many people in this area. But what you can do is minimise what that could look like through planning. So in the way that a dock leaf soothes a nettle sting, dock leaf conversations, and my name's Annette, and this is where dock leaf comes from, as a baby, 
My dad nicknamed me Nettles and that stuck through most of my adult life. So Dockleaf came as a play of Nettles. And then when I was thinking of this, Dockleaf Conversations, Soothing the Sting of I'm Death Talk. Love it. I love a good tagline. I love a good metaphor. I love meaning behind business names. I think that that's wonderful. I hadn't even made the connection between Annette and Nettles and Dockleafs. That's, yeah, brilliant. I love that. That's such a wonderful story. I'm surprised that the tagline didn't resonate, but um, maybe that's something that you can bring back in in the future if it still feels like it fits. Yeah, possibly. I'm not, I haven't quite decided. I think Dockleaf Conversations very much started as an extension of Annette. And at this point in time, still is. Without me, there's no Dockleaf. But now that I'm stepping into this, okay, this is bigger than me. The success that I'm looking to achieve is not about me. Then I think it becomes its own entity. So again, in my head, I mean, it's not written down anywhere. You won't find it anywhere. I'm thinking what I'm trying to achieve, sort of basically different spaces, talking about death in different spaces and different ages in all places and just this idea of let's take this conversation nobody wants to have but lots of people do have it but it's siloed and let's just open it up let's talk about it in football stadiums in libraries in cafes let's do all of those things at all ages you don't need to be older you don't need to be ill let's just talk about it and see what happens so I'm not sure, but I do still quite like Susan listening around death talk. Yeah, me too. Big, big plans and big conversations, but again, super important. So when it comes to your branding and your brand identity, what's been your journey when it's come to develop your brand? Have you found, did you invest in it with someone else? Have you invested time in it? Are you just kind of winging it for now? I'd love to hear more around that winging it all the way from day one um no one else um, I will say my husband has helped me like I say I want this he uses photoshop at a pretty basic level but I don't use it at all and so everything you see that is created is me copy branding you know image everything is just me I'm no graphic designer I'm no copywriter but it's really important to me that it's authentic Um, So I wouldn't at this stage outsource even if I could because I can speak to something that I have created. So I often look at my brand colours in particular and go, who in their right mind puts those together? But And also there aren't many, I talk about tulips a lot, there are not many blue or green tulips in nature, but who cares? And I like it and I think it's really important to like your own brand even if not everyone else does. I love that. And I think that for yourself in particular, from my perspective, your branding is particularly strong when it comes to tone of voice. The words that you use, the way that you speak and your approach, that is definitely from my perspective, um, the, the differentiating factor that you have with your branding when it comes to talking about this. And I know that we've had conversations kind of obviously away from the podcast around your branding and your tone of voice. And I feel like having that slightly, I don't want to say lighthearted, but that slightly less morbid, the slightly more pragmatic um, and very open approach is definitely a strong, a strong factor within your branding. Thank you. It's no secret that I loathe writing. Um, I always have, always will. But I think my saving grace is that I write the way I speak. So if you've ever had a conversation with me and then you read anything I've written, you can hear my voice. And I'm I'm aware that I've got a strong first person voice as well. I can write. I'd be good at writing op-eds because I don't know what else to do. If you meet me in real life, all you get is me. Um, as I think I've probably demonstrated in this episode, I don't know how to be someone I'm not. And that's with all my strengths, all my weaknesses, just who I am and showing up in the world. And if you're going to talk about these things, and importantly, if you're going to ask other people to, then you kind of do have to lead by example. So I don't think you can ever ask someone else to make their end of life plan if you haven't even started on your own. Don't ask someone else to make decisions for their end of life if you've not given consideration to your own you start with you and I think you know I try very hard to make sure that 
One, I'm not boring. I think the worst insult a person can be paid is to be called boring. And I very much hope I'm not that. But beyond that, all I can do is be me. And I am no different in real life than I am in online, on social media. And if that shows through, it means that hopefully people won't be focused on me, but they'll be focused on the message because there will be no disconnect between the two. Brilliant. Yeah. And I think authenticity and, and being true to yourself is always going to be the pe- best place to, to start when it comes to communicating from your business, particularly when you're talking about something that's so sensitive and so difficult in, in most circumstances to talk about. You need to be coming from a genuine place because it will immediately put those the spidey senses on edge and people will, will feel uncomfortable in addition to already feeling uncomfortable and that's not something that we want. So when it comes to your business as a whole, what would you say has been your favorite part of being a company or however you insert your <laughs> preferred term here as an owner? How would you describe your favorite part of this process? Knowing that my work has value. And the reason I know that is I, I produce some resources and I've had it's mostly conversations with people. The number one reaction that I get when I have one-to-one conversations in this subject area, more often than not, it ends with the other person saying to me, I hadn't thought of that. And you can see them thinking, thought-provoking, I get an awful lot. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily a compliment, but it means that I have brought an awareness to somebody that they did not have before. It is not my job to tell them what to do with it. It's not my job to tell them what to do full stop. But this thing that happens to every single one of us, but that we don't talk about, people actually very often don't even think about it. And that's what I'm bringing. And to be able to do that, and they don't appear to be afraid, they are just, hmm, I need to go away and do some reflection here. I think there are some actions that I need to take that I would not have thought of had we not had this conversation. It, it's then it's not part of me anymore. It's it's with them and they go out into the world as they need to. But to me, that feels like a gift. I have delivered some value that nobody else has. That makes me really happy. And that I love about my business that's not a business. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that that's, that's a really... I'm not surprised in the slightest <laughs> from someone who was talking about the whole path. Everything behind your business has been purpose driven. It makes sense that the purpose is the bit that makes it the, the most rewarding and the most fun for you. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I love that answer. And I love hearing the impact that you can you can see having. And, you know, the first step towards action is the understanding that an action is required. So by bringing their awareness to it, you're probably doing more than a whole host of other other businesses and other things that are going on in their world. So, yeah, I think that's wonderful. So the last question that I have before we move on to your advice for the listeners is around marketing. And I'm really curious to hear what you're going to say around this one, given the conversation that we had just a few minutes ago. But I love to know what have you found to be either your most effective or what is your favorite method of marketing your business? Um, yeah, <laughs> not a strength. I do know where my strength lies. It's not something that I necessarily enjoy, but it's something that I can do that lots of people hate. I said that I loathe writing, which I do. I'm okay on video though. I don't enjoy lives. I don't enjoy lives, but pre-recorded things, I'm pretty good with. And I never script anything. I'm sure listeners will not be surprised to hear that. I wing absolutely everything. There are no notes. I turn on the camera. And I find out what I'm going to say at the same point everyone else does. But for some reason, it works for me. And I think it goes back to that authenticity thing. It's not that I particularly enjoy hearing my voice or looking at myself on camera or any of those things, but I can do it. And I have a very expressive face. I talk with my hands all the time. I can't not. And I think the energy that I have in my messaging comes through better with me on camera. And I and the reason I know this works is basically because lots of people have told me, you know, you're really good on camera and I wish that I could do that. So there's clearly something in there. I am more effective in a video than through any other kind of marketing means or media. 
So that probably is my most effective form. It's not my most enjoyable, but I can do it. And, you know, if you're stuck between a, a rock and a hard place, then video is it. I would honestly say that I think the video is probably one of the most effective ways that you could pair the conversations that you're having with marketing methods. Because if it's a conversation that we don't want to have, it's going to be all too easy to keep scrolling past those written posts where it's like, oh, well, I don't need that at the moment. I mean, the whole point is that we need to be having these conversations earlier than when we need to. But with a video, having that connection, having that engagement and having that focus where you're speaking to someone directly, I think that that's much easier to feel like you're having a conversation rather than it feeling quite one-sided where it's been pre-written. So yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised, but I am glad that that's something that you have kind of embraced because I love hearing you speak about this. I feel like it really does convey not only the factual side of things, but it softens it with the human side. And I think that that's really important. Yeah, I, I think so too. And again, I, I have to walk my talk. So it's really important to me that people understand you can have this conversation at any age and you can be young and you can be healthy. And I would consider myself to be those things. To my knowledge, I am fit and well. I I turned 43 last week, so I don't know if that constitutes young or not, but it does in the world of end of life planning. And what's really interesting, lots of people, the reason they don't want to talk about this sounds irrational, but it's incredibly common. They're scared of jinxing it. If I talk about my own death, it's almost like I'm willing the universe to kill me. And I'm like, okay, I understand that that is a commonplace fear. I can't do very much with that. But what I can do is get on camera and show you that I'm alive and well and talking about it and talking about it is not jinxing me. So if I can talk about this and be well, perhaps you can too. Brilliant. Okay, cool. So let's wrap up this episode by asking for one last thing from you, Annette, and that is a key piece of advice from your business journey. So from everything that you've experienced um, and everything that you have found to be true for you within your business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd like to share with the listeners? I think it would be around if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. And in particular, if I was to be specific, networking and your support network it's very easy to find especially if you're just starting out for the first time networks and people who might appear to be the right people for you and maybe they are but if it does not feel right then please know there is a group out there that is right for you but you're going to have to go and find it and do not settle that would be my advice if the support you're receiving is not as supportive as it could be then change it Go and find the people that understand what being in business is like, that understand the challenges, especially around loneliness and isolation and not actually knowing what you're doing, but you've got nobody to ask. You need people in your corner and don't settle for the first group you come across. Find the right people because that will make all the difference in the world. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with that. My business network and the friendships that I've made along the way have really impacted and changed, particularly over the last two years with everyone feeling isolated in both personal lives as well. Um, my network has really made the difference. So I think that that's wonderful, wonderful bit of advice to share. So where can the listeners find more of you online, Annette? So you can find me, believe it or not, in some social media places. I am on LinkedIn and Facebook and I dabble in Twitter. But actually, the best place to find me is my website. It's AnnetteEarl.com. And you can contact me through that really, really easily. So yeah, please do get in touch. Amazing. So thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. I think there have been some beautiful conversations mixed in with learning about you and your business, which is wonderful. So listeners, I will put all of the links in the show notes. So if you'd like to see more of Annette and her work, which I would definitely recommend, be sure to check out those links. Thank you, Annette. And listeners, if you're enjoying the podcast, can I ask that you share this episode or an episode of your choice with just one other person? Because it really helps the podcast to grow. It helps me bring you new episodes and guests every week. And until then, head over to our Instagram community with the links in the show notes. We can continue these conversations. I'd love to know your thoughts around everything that we've discussed. And I will see you in the Brand Lounge.